This week, an update on my experiences in downtown Hamilton. Then, the first gift shop artifact profile, starting with the mysterious boots of Hamilton's Custom House. It's not getting better, guys. Uh, warning, the following segment, I'm going to speak candidly, just like I did with the last time I covered this. Um, it can be a sensitive subject, but, you know, it, need, it needs to be said. So I'm going to speak candidly because I'm in a unique situation. Now, I know this is not good for business because the last thing you want to do is tell people about one of the locations of a tour and to say that it's getting a bit strange down there. And that's what I'm going to do right now. Because even though it's getting strange, you need to know it's not crossed a level into being dangerous. Even though the stories I'm going to tell you might make it seem that way, you know, still I feel a level of control with it. I haven't thought about putting the downtown tour on hiatus again yet. Although it has crossed my mind. I'll, I'll talk about that in the future. Just for the sole fact I haven't really thought about it. But it's not good for business to, to talk about these things, but it needs to be said. It's very important that people like myself tell the stories, because as I mentioned, I'm in a unique situation here. Because if you look at downtown Hamilton, I mean, you see its growth you see the amazing restaurants that have come in. You see the amazing shops that have come in. I, I love downtown Hamilton. I even considered moving there a couple times. But it has all of that good, and it also has some very bad things that seem to be getting worse. And that's what I'm talking about. So being in the unique situation is most of the restaurants, you go indoors, it's inside, there's no problems, you go to events, you go to Cops Coliseum, you go to see a show at Theater Aquarius or Hamilton Place. These are controlled environments. So you don't actually get a feel. Of course, when you leave to go to your car, depending how far you're walking, you might see it. But for the most part, you don't get a feel. So I'm in a situation where what I'm doing there is an outdoor tour at night which very rarely gets mixed together. We're the only ones out there. I've never seen another tour doing that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh because I don't think anybody else would uh, would do that. So we're an outdoor tour at night. We're in the middle of it. We go, th go through Gore Park, which seems to be a, uh, the height of it, and also over by the YWCA. Uh, there's the, the folks there who are um, down on their luck, who might be addicted to some type of substance. You know, they're not, for the most part, in my opinion, in their right mind. So we're kind of walking through the, the heart of this at night, you know, with the tour. And it hasn't been an issue. There was an issue back in 2006-ish, when, be like before the uh, police presence showed up with that massive police station on King William, and before the cameras were put into place, you know, downtown was a little bit shady, to say the least. But of course, it was more abandoned buildings back then, too. There was less businesses, which means that the majority of the people were, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, shady. Now it's different. 
Now, I do see a lot of normal people, but I also see the folks that have that substance issue and not in their right mind. And kind of as a side note, I find it a little bit strange that, um, you know, I notice the folks, you know, yelling and screaming obscenities and throwing things around and just, you know, acting in a very uh, unsettling way. And then I see the people like the more regular folks who are walking through and they just kind of ignore it. And I think it's kind of strange. I don't know if that's a, a sign of current day society. And I'm going to try not to cross over into the political here, but, you know, you hear stories from Los Angeles, you hear stories from New York and San Francisco. San Francisco, I think, is one of the worst, where it's just become normal place for this activity to occur in in those areas. And maybe it's because we hear about that and we understand what's going on and on the inside we might feel against it but you don't want to confront it so for the most part i mean they don't even look i've noticed you know, screaming and yelling and throwing things and and the people walking by they don't even look over which you know i mean not even to see if the person i mean in the sense you know i don't think they're hurt i mean if they're screaming and yelling they're not hurt but just to look over to you know see okay is this person going to run at me or something it's almost like they're just used to it and that kind of scares me a bit because if you become what's the word complacent if you just kind of accept that this is how things are then usually change doesn't occur and if anything it's just going to grow because it is definitely growing uh, so yeah my unique view on this i actually go down before my tours early to sit with a coffee and just kind of you know prepare myself to tell the stories and I watch this stuff occur because I love sitting on the patio when it's not like freezing cold or overly hot. But um, yeah, there's just that interesting point of view. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm giving an update here. Five minutes in, I'm going to give an actual update as I promised. So there was two occurrences that happened with the tour groups. And the first one was creepy for me, but not so much for the tour group because they didn't really see much. The second one was creepy for everyone. And the first occurrence was uh, during this, this happened over the last two months. And during one of the tour nights, I was sitting at the starting location waiting for the first folks to show up. And note, I just have my vest on. I don't put my hat on, uh, my coat on until people start coming because I know if I, if I kind of look the part, I'm going to invite folks to come over and start not harassing, but being a little aggressive with me. Uh, so I just kind of keep that. I hide my stuff just in case. And I can hear, I'm sitting there facing towards John Street, and I hear whispering in my left ear. It's a woman's voice, and I, I didn't really, I couldn't make out what she was saying. It sounded like something religious, and I thought, wait a minute, is this a ghostly experience that's happening to me right now? And I was almost afraid to turn my head because I wasn't sure what I would see. So I turned my head and I look. And I mean, it was just, she, she was a regular looking woman. Uh, she was standing there. She was staring directly at me, maybe about three or four feet away from me. And she's staring directly at me and she's just whispering something like, like, like chanting it over and over again. And I looked at her. I didn't say anything because it almost seemed like she wasn't really talking to me, even though she was looking at me. And I just, I, I got up and there was like these two folks, these two guys that were near me 
and I just got up and I kind of went a little closer just to get away from her. And I thought maybe if she saw those other guys there, she said, okay, this is more than one person. She would just leave me alone. Uh, but she didn't. So she she comes around. She walks up. She stands in front of me, these two guys. Now, one of the guys owns a pizza place in downtown. So he knew her. These, uh, the, some of these folks, they've become regulars. And I'll, I'll give an example of that with the next story. So he actually said to her, he's like, oh, he doesn't want to hear what you have to say, like talking about me, and thought that would make her go away, but it didn't. Uh, she actually escalated a couple times and started screaming, like screaming and yelling obscenities, and um, then went back to whispering. The guy was like, no, 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 don't do that. And she was like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So it was almost like they knew each other. So I was very happy to have that guy there. Uh, you really helped me out a lot. And if by chance he's listening, which I, I doubt he is, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. So this went on for about five minutes or so. And I could actually see some of the customers for the tour. The guests are showing up. So I had to excuse myself. And I guess something was said because the woman then walked away. And I was actually a little bit relieved because she went the opposite direction than I would take the tour. And I felt, okay, everything's going to be totally fine. But it wasn't. So I uh, had that false sense of security. And I started the tour. I don't remember how many people, maybe like 15. And I started the tour. Everything was fine at the Connaught. Everything was fine at the first part of Gore Park. And then I get to the right house stop and I can see her making a beeline for us. And I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? So I actually, I, I made sure I had my phone and I just kind of put my hand on it ready just in case uh, to call for help if we needed it because I wasn't sure how she would react in that moment. And she came right up to the tour group and the, the tour group was a little weirded out at first, but they understood where they were. And I had made a warning at the beginning just in case. And she was just doing like um, an exercising the demons kind of thing where she would be like talking about God and how we're, we're gonna, I'm going to burn. And she was like focusing it on me, not the group. And then she like lost it and started screaming and yelling and, and obscenity. And there was kids in the group. And I didn't, I didn't like that at all. So I took out my phone. I, I was nice. I was very nice. I kept it. I kept it calm. And I said to her, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to call the police. Because this you're, you're being abusive, you're gonna have to call the police. And I don't know. I mean, you're, you, she's in a certain state of mind, but she did understand what I meant. Because the minute I said that, she actually walked away from the group. So that that threat was enough. I didn't actually call the cops. I I put in nine one. I didn't put in the extra one. It was just to look like I was dialing. I wanted her to walk away, and she did. And as she was walking away, she would like uh, f you. Uh, you're going to burn in hell and, and a bunch of other stuff. And I turned to the group, especially the parents to the kids. I was like, I'm so sorry for that. I mean, just we can't control when that, that occurs. So that was the first time. There was a second time, unfortunately. And the second time was, in my opinion, worse. It's got me to the point now that I'm actually considering putting the tour on hiatus next year, depending on the situation, I hope our city officials do try and create something to try and fix this. I don't know what it is. I, we need better minds than mind thinking about this. I'm not, I'm not going to come up with any solutions during this podcast segment. But I think if, if all of our city council gets together, maybe they can figure something out. Or take an example from a city who's actually 
done something about it, although I don't think there's a lot of cities out there that have because it's not just us, and I know that. But the second incident uh, was way over the top. I did not like it at all. So we, we start the tour. We get across the street where the Sir John A. statue used to be, and this guy um shirtless has a bandana around his neck if you're looking as uh, like a red bandana um if if you see him maybe maybe stay away from him if you're in hamilton uh but he just lost it he was yelling and screaming there was like 25 people in the group so it was a big group and i actually had the group kind of get on one side of me i made a mistake though I realize that now, and in all my experience doing those tours, you know, you don't expect this to happen, and even in the moment, your brain doesn't function correctly. I should have just kept walking. That was my mistake, but I, I, what I thought was, I thought that if I didn't do something about it, that he could hurt somebody else, not just somebody in my tour group. So I got the group behind me, I got him into a corner, and thankfully there was this one guy, uh, he stepped forward from the group, and he stood beside me just in case. And this guy was just yelling obscenities. He was throwing things. And he was like rushing at people in the group. That's why I put them behind me. And then at that point, he was rushing at me. He came right up in my face. But I didn't look him in the eye. I knew if I did that, it would be kind of like a challenge or something. It's like a wild animal kind of situation. And he just was screaming obscenities, threatening to kill us. Like it was just too much. So uh, that was the first time in years, in over a decade, that I actually called 911 because it was just, it was too much. And I thought even if I did move the group away, I didn't think he would follow, but I wasn't sure. And I thought maybe if I turned my back on him, he would consider that aggression as well. He might jump. So, you know, I was kind of tense in the moment, but I just, I said, this isn't for me to handle. Uh, there There was a guy walking through, I don't know if he was a business owner or employee, but he knew the the guy and he was like, he was actually trying to challenge him to a fight. And I was like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't just, just go. And they were, they were like, he was yelling obscenities back at the guy. I said, the guy's not in his room. Just go. And finally the guy walked away. So I called 911. They answered. I told them the situation. They could hear the guy screaming in the background. So there wasn't much to explain. And the, the guy on the 911 Super nice guy. He was very helpful. He got the police over there very quickly. Um, I'm very happy he did that. But it was it kind of strange to me when I said what was going on. He said he said on the phone. He said, "Oh, he's not having a good night," meaning the guy yelling the obscenities. So then I realized, oh, he knows him. I say, so this guy has done it before, and that kind of disturbed me a little bit. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a little disturbed now and considering putting that downtown tour on hiatus in the sole fact that they know that this is going on and that there's no solution that's in place. So what they did is they came, they got him, they took him away, but I know they're just maybe going to put him in jail for a little bit and then release him the next day because he didn't really do anything wrong. So that, that disturbed me a bit. I don't know if, if, if I'm on the right track here, if you're disturbed by that as well, knowing that it's basically just going to be a cycle until, you know, it, God forbid something bad happens. But it just didn't, it didn't put my mind at ease. Now, I will, I will say this. Neither of those people in those two incidences actually did touch me or anybody in the group. 
they really were like they seemed uh, sound mind enough no not to actually hurt somebody and I think they were just letting out anger or whatever their their disturbance might be even the guy who was throwing things never actually threw anything at a person just threw it on the ground near the person and uh, when when I was standing there with that other guy he would come up in my face but he never actually reached out and touched me so I don't think I, don't, I really don't think they're bad people I mean, they, they knew enough not to, to hurt anyone, which is more than I can say for some of the, the regular folks that I've had dealings over the years, especially like you have like uh, road rage incidences, which also seem to be on the rise. I can say that the, the folks that in downtown, even though they, they are scary in how they talk and how they act, you know, I, I seem to have more control than some others I know. So for that reason, I, I give them credit. But anyway, I digress. So that, that's that's the stories. I just wanted to get them out there. I don't know if it's going to do anything or help anything. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of throwing my own business under the bus by doing this. But I think it needs to be said. And also, it's a, it's a discussion point for the new mayoral race. Uh, there's going to be a new mayor that's elected. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when the date of the voting occurs. And I don't know if you can think of a mayor would, who might actually take this seriously and fix it. Maybe vote for them. So this is an all-Hamilton episode. For those who are not in the city of Hamilton, this is going to suck for you. I hope you can just, you know, enjoy the stories and uh, just sit back and uh, realize that if this happens in your city, meaning the first segment, then you're not alone. And in the second segment you're probably going to not be able to relate to this too much, but it is an interesting story nonetheless. And it's the first of many segments I want to feature about the artifacts in the Ghost Walks gift shop. So we have a small gift shop, and by small I mean very small, in Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is considered Canada's most haunted town, which I fully believe. And we have this small space that used to be a museum we had a much larger space but then it was made smaller and we kept some of the artifacts so some of the haunted artifacts that were in the museum were kept and put in the shop whatever could fit there was much bigger ones that have been since removed stored or donated so the first one i want to feature is one of my favorites and it actually originates from the city of hamilton and among the artifacts that we have, Lizzie the doll, the skull, the postmortem photos, this is the one that confused people the most. Because it's just a pair of boots. Yes, just a pair of boots. So it's these boots that are sitting up on one of the display cases at the very top in a glass case. And people have to ask, uh, or you can go to the website. I'll give the website in the description below. There's an artifacts page. And you have to ask, you know, what, 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 why are there boots in a display case? <laughs> they're old and they're dirty. That's one thing. They look historic. So that's another thing. And the reason they're there is because they were mysterious. They came from the Custom House here in Hamilton, which the Custom House was one of the most haunted buildings I've ever dealt with. And that's going over the last two decades. Now, why is the Custom House so haunted, very quickly, is there's a mix of history and energy inside this building because of what has passed through there. It wasn't just a Custom House. 
It was a custom house for 20 years. It was a school. It was a uh, the original YWCA. It was the social services agency, which was also known as an open building with a uh, an open door for people to just come in and spend the night. So basically, it was an abandoned building. It was a macaroni factory, Naples Macaroni, which is one of the heights of that building. It was abandoned. It was a karate dojo. And today it is hopefully the last thing that would ever be in there, the Workers' Arts and Heritage Center. It's a blue-collar museum in the Steel City, which fits perfectly. So you can think, with all these different um, versions of the building, the hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people who have walked through the space, who have lived in the space, who have worked in the space, I mean, it gives this place a certain energy because it wasn't just one thing. It's different types of energy, different types of ghosts, all mingling inside the same building. So you can understand why the place is unique. Now, but what about the boots? Why are there boots in a glass case? That was the original question to the segment. I'm going to answer it for you in a second because I'm going to go back to the history of the custom house. I'm going to tell you about a time when it was abandoned. So after the Naples Macaroni Factory left, there was maybe a decade or so. I'm not sure how long. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. It was like 10 to 15 years or something like that, that the building just stood abandoned. And this is going from the 1970s into the 1980s. So there are photos out there. You know, people came down, people who are definitely alive today, who can tell stories about visiting the place when it was abandoned and how it looked. It looked terrible. It was falling apart. There was a tree growing through the lobby. I mean, if you looked at it during that time, you would have said, okay, this place is definitely going to be torn down and replaced with something else. But thankfully, it wasn't torn down. And the story behind that is is kind of amazing. There was a guy, uh, he's still in the city of Hamilton. His name is Don Warner. He's, I believe, the it's karate. He's a karate uh, master. He's a teacher. And he wanted to open his own dojo, and he saw the custom house as being the place. And it's almost one of those things that, you know, the fate is going to occur because he was able to get the funding. He got grants because it was a historic building, and he was able to open the place up. But there was a ton of work. And thankfully, I mean, obviously, karate folks, maybe got some of his students to help. They're all in very good shape, so I'm sure he he had a a lot of free labor there. And uh, so he did it. He fixed the place up. He got rid of the tree in the lobby. (laughs) He fixed the structure and he opened a karate dojo inside the custom house. And, you know, so happy he did because he set that that series of events that would keep the building for future generations. And anybody who does that deserves everybody's credit. I give him my complete credit and admiration. So during the renovations, back to the boots, during the renovations, they took out the tree, they fixed everything up. There was a bit of a mystery. It's not really a mystery, but it was like a bit of a, a, a thought process that went into knowing, okay, we have the grand staircase in the main lobby, which takes you from the first to the second floor. There was no original staircase from the second to the attic because the attic didn't used to exist. So before it was abandoned, there was a fire in the building that destroyed the second floor. So they used that opportunity to make an attic because of the really high ceilings. They had the space. 
they needed the storage. So they did that. And they created these uh, more modern stone and steel stairs that took you from the basement to the attic. Uh, but the original staircase, the grand staircase, was from the from the first to the second. But they were a little confused on where the original basement stairs were. Because the basement was original to the building. And it should have had a stairwell that went from the basement to the first floor. Now, I think they knew the entire time. But they were just delaying it during the renovations. Because there was this room in the basement that was filled with dirt. No, seriously, it was filled from floor to ceiling with dirt. Because remember I mentioned the tree that was growing in there? That's where the roots of the tree were. So, I mean, the only way a tree can grow through the lobby is if there are roots. And somehow, I guess the wall caved in, it filled with dirt, and the tree grew up. So finally, they get to that room in the basement, and they, they dig it out. And that's when they found the basement stairs. So they found the basement stairs after digging out the dirt. And what was under the basement stairs is this little cubby space. And inside the cubby space, a pair of worn out old boots. So they left them. They didn't touch the boots. There was this weird feeling around it. This is, I don't know if it started out as a joke and then just became serious later on. That's my guess. But they didn't want it. They didn't want to touch the boots. They just left them alone. They say, don't touch the boots. That's where they belong. But somebody did. Obviously, somebody had to, because I'm talking about it right now. So there's a former manager, worked for the Workers Arts and Heritage back when I first started there with the ghost tours. And the events is going back to like 2001. Uh, her name is Heather. So Heather was one of the managers there, and she shared a story with us in regards to the boots. So she said that she had a friend that came over to the building one evening to meet her. They were going to go out that evening. And she gave her friend a tour because it's a beautiful building. Her friend was probably interested in seeing it. They get down to the basement. It shows the, the basement stairs room, probably freaked out. And she actually tells a friend about the boots. She's like, ah, oh, yeah, there's this weird pair of boots underneath the stairs. So they walk over and they look at it. And Heather says, no, no, no you, don't, uh, you don't touch them. You don't, you don't do that. And her friend, I guess, kind of a bit of a jokester, she actually reached out and touched the boots. And here's what Heather told us. Now, Heather was a serious person. She isn't the type to just tell, you know, ghost stories willy-nilly. If something happened to her, you know, you can guarantee that it was the truth. And so she said when her friend touched the boots, there was this chain-link fence leaning against the wall. I don't know if it was part of a display in the museum or something. They just stored it down there. But this chain link fence is leaning against the wall. The minute the friend touched the boots, the fence fell over on them. It actually hit Heather first. So she's standing there. The fence falls. The bar on the top of the fence hits her back. Now, it's not like a horror movie. It didn't pin them to the ground or anything. It didn't like knock them over or leave a bruise. It just fell against them. The timing was was creepy. So she pushes the fence back and they got the heck out of the building that night. So the thought was never touch the boots. And they, they, they never did from that point forward. At one point, somebody did move them because a pair of old boots were needed in a display. I don't know if the person wore gloves or something, which would have been the smart move. That's what I did when I put it in the case. I wore gloves. But either way, they moved it. I, I, I assume they survived. I would have heard if they died because of it. Sorry, I had to say that. Uh, but then after a few years, I guess they didn't need them anymore. And it was before the tourists stopped 
that they were like, okay, we don't want to restore him in the basement. We have no use for it. We know that the ghost walks has taken a shine to it, which I had. I smiled every time I saw them. And they were like, oh, here you go. And they donated it to us. So that was great. And then the minute the museum opened, they were in there. And now finally, the Ghost Walks gift shop, they're in there. So very happy that we got them. And I'm very happy that you now know the story. And if anybody else says, oh, what are those boots doing in the shop? You can just reference them to this episode of the podcast, week number 92, or sorry, episode number 92, and everything will be explained. So I mentioned the website. There is an artifacts website. It's ghostwalks.com. I believe it's just slash artifacts, but I will link it in the description below. Anyway, that's it, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, If anybody has any comments in relation to some of the stuff I talked about, uh, more importantly, I'm talking about the first segment in relation to downtown Hamilton. I would love to hear from you. I will feature it in a future episode. I want to hear how folks, if, if somebody lives in downtown Hamilton and you have some stories that you want to tell, because I do feel, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm jaded on this, maybe I'm confused, but I do feel the more stories that we tell, the harder it's going to be for our leaders to ignore it. And we need our leaders to take action because as regular folks, we can't do much in this regard. You know, nobody's going to put their life on the line. And I see some people maybe want to try to fight them. And I don't think that's the answer either. We need policies in place to get these folks help. And that's what I believe wholeheartedly. So if anybody has any stories, you don't have to live in downtown. If you just were in downtown for dinner or something, uh, please share them with me. Daniel at ghostwalks.com. Again, thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next week.